Europe in Hungary and are currently sent to Northern California with open air campaigners NorCal. Their mission is to present Christ by all means everywhere. At the beginning of the year, I had shared with you guys that I really felt like the Lord had put it in my heart that we need to become a more evangelistic church, that we need to be doing outreach to people because they're not just coming by and saying, hey, there's a church, let's drop in. So we want to go out to them. And this is what Open Air Campaigners is really all about. And uh, I'm just getting to know Brenton, uh, but I've got to tell you, we, we truly have that same heart and that same passion for the lost. And so I've asked him to come and to share with us about his ministry and what he does and, and how really he's going to help us in training us on how to go out. Would you please welcome Brenton Powers. Thank you so much for welcoming us. And I'm not here by myself. My wife, Lena, is here. And kids, Sam and Lily, would you stand up? Yes. Well, we bring you greetings from Monterey County. Um, how many of you have ever been to Monterey Fisherman's Wharf or the aquarium over there? I like to preach down by the wharf. It's a great fishing hole, we call it, because there are so many people walking by. And, uh, um, but God has sent us as missionaries to Northern California. A lot of people don't think of California as a mission field, but it is, isn't it? Right. And God's called us, given the church a mission, the Great Commission. I love that, uh, that memory verse, right? Be strong and courageous. You know, we need that encouragement from time to time. So I hope that today's message will be uh, an encouragement to you. Um, just a little bit about our, our mission before we get into the word. We're going to be studying Jude. So if you want to turn there, you can. It's right before Revelation. It's one chapter. We're going to study Jude. But uh, Open Air Campaigner's mission is to present Christ by all means everywhere. Uh, mobilizing the body of Christ. And you can check out our website, oacnorcal.org. I'll give that again at the end. But I am a full-time evangelist. Though I was a pastor and church planter in Europe, God spoke to me and said, you're an evangelist. God's given pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, but he's also given evangelists for the equipping of the saints, Ephesians 4.11, so that we can all do the work of the ministry. There's various ministries. We'll talk about how to do that today. And also, my vision is to see the gospel spread to a million lost people in Northern California. There's about nine million uh, people that live in the greater Sacramento area, the Bay Area, the Monterey Bay Area. And I think if we share the gospel with about a thousand people a week, you know, 10 years, a million people have heard. It's not unreachable if we work together, if we are diligent. And so that's my vision. I want to see people getting saved. Someone was praying that this morning too. We want to, don't you want to see people saved? Wouldn't that be exciting to see? But it's, it's slow going. Not everyone wants to be saved. Um, and then I'll go to the next slide where I want to show you how we do it. There's a slide of me painting the next one. Uh, Oh, maybe you didn't get that one. Go back one. 
Yeah, yeah, the third slide, there we go. So this is how I do it. I was trained with open air campaigners a couple years ago during the pandemic, I went to Baltimore, and for 130 years this ministry has existed, and they use sketchboards out in the open air to, to literally draw a crowd. <laughs> And so it starts with something that looks like ladder lettering on the left. We call it ladder lettering because you can't tell what it's going to be. It's sort of like Wheel of Fortune, right? You try and guess. People are curious. That draws them in. And I start telling the story. This one is the story of blind Bartimaeus. So there's the big B and all the B words in that story. Bart, the beggar, he was blind, and he asked Jesus to bless him. Um, and then it ends up with... Uh, Jesus calling not only Bartimaeus to come follow me, but we tell everybody, Jesus is calling you. How will you respond to the call? And we, we do get to see people getting saved on a monthly basis. About On average, at least one person gets saved. Um, but you have to sh be willing to share with a thousand to get that one. So if we stop after striking out three people, oh, it's not my gift, not my thing. Don't discount it yet. You just got to keep at it. Keep trying. Keep witnessing because we are all called to be witnesses. So that's how we do it. And then one more slide about our ministry before we get into the word. Um, uh, not only is it evangelism, that's one part of the Great Commission, right? Mark 15, uh, 16, 15. Go preach the gospel. But the other side of it, the other side of the coin is making disciples. I guess that slide's not showing up either. Go make disciples of all nations, Matthew 28. And so I had some guys' Bible studies there. Yeah, that's it. We're using Google Slides today. I hope that's all right. I like to, to uh, that doesn't have the pictures. But trust me, there's a group of guys in Monterey that are growing in the word. And we're seeing men of God raised up and sent out. There's a young man named Jeremy who... Uh, he, he moved away about a year ago. He's getting married now, but he felt called to ministry. So he came alongside me. He plays guitar. We did outreaches together. And I just saw him grow in boldness and love and truth. And now he's teaching other people. So Paul said, the things that you've heard and learned from me in the presence of many witnesses, Timothy, those things I want you to entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. So it's just passing it on, pass on the word. That's what it's about. So I'm glad to be here to get into the word of God with you. So Jude is one chapter. So I think we can actually read through the whole thing and then we'll go through it verse by verse. I actually have a 12 week study I did on the little book of Jude uh, and you can listen to those devotionals on my podcast, Dwell on Truth. But for, we're just going to touch on the main things. Keep the main things the main things, right? So let's read Jude, verse 1 through 25. And I'm going to read from the New King James Version. Jude. Actually, let's pray first. <laughs> I, I've been blessed to be prayed for a lot today, but I want to pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Would you be with me? Just calm my nerves. I'm so excited. I have so much I want to share, 
but I pray that you would speak through me. I pray that you would give ears and hearts to hear and receive what you have for us today. Thank you for this little book. It's little, but it is powerful. So speak to us, I pray, through your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Jude, a bondservant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, sanctified by God the Father, and preserved in Jesus Christ, mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, while I was very diligent to write to you concerning our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you exhorting you to contend earnestly for the faith which was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain men have crept in unnoticed, who long ago were marked out for this condemnation, ungodly men, who turn the grace of our God into lewdness and deny our only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. But I want to remind you, although you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels, who did not keep their proper domain, but left their own abode, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness for the judgment of the great day. As Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality and gone after strange flesh, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Likewise, also, these dreamers defile the flesh, reject authority, and speak evil of dignitaries. Yet Michael the archangel, in contending with the devil, when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling accusation, but said, the Lord rebuke you. But these speak evil of whatever they do not know, and whatever they know naturally, like brute beasts, in these things they have corrupt themselves. Woe to them, for they have gone in the way of Cain, and have run greedily in the error of Balaam for profit, and perished in the rebellion of Korah. These are spots in your love feasts. While they feast with you without fear, serving only themselves, they are clouds without water, carried about by winds, late autumn trees, without fruit, twice dead, pulled up by the roots. Raging waves of the sea, foaming up their own shame, wandering stars for whom is reserved the blackest of darkness forever. Now Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied about these men also, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with ten thousands of his saints to execute judgment on all and to convict all who are ungodly among them of all their ungodly deeds which they have committed in an ungodly way, and of all the harsh things which ungodly sinners have spoken against him. These are grumblers, complainers, walking about, walking according to their own lusts. They, they mouth great swelling words, flattering people to gain advantage. But you, beloved, 
Remember the words which were spoken before by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ, how they told you that they would be mockers in the last time who would walk according to their own ungodly lusts. These are sensual persons who cause divisions, not having the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. And on some, have compassion, making a distinction, but others save with fear, pulling them out of the fire, hating even the garment defiled by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy, to God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty and dominion and power both now and forever. Amen. That was one of 66 books of the Bible we just read. How many of you have ever read that before? You've read that before? Okay. Studied it before? I was looking on the church website. Have the, have, has it been taught here yet? Over the last what, 12, 13 years, it, it hasn't been taught on yet. So... I'm glad to bring this book. This is actually the first book of the Bible I ever taught in a small group home fellowship setting. Pastor Bill Holdridge was our pastor in Monterey, and he just said, hey, I'd like you to pray about leading a home fellowship, and I'm going to train you to do inductive Bible study. Uh, how many of you have learned the inductive Bible study method, where you observe what it says, you interpret what does it mean? and you apply it, what should we do then? What sh how should we live based upon the truths of the scripture? So I've got my little three column outline here for at least the first four verses. And then we're kind of gonna skip the big middle section, which you heard, there's a lot of judgment of false teachers in this, in this book. I don't have time to go into the detail and the descriptive language that Jude uses to help you to discern false teaching today. But I think we know there, there is, uh, there is a, a threat against the Christian faith in the form of false teaching. And so the theme of this book is contend for the faith. Contend for the faith. So there's gonna be an application. We're gonna get practical at the end, but first I wanna just go verse by verse, starting with verse one, Jude. The name is Judas, but for obvious reasons, it's better, it's better to translate it Jude, because this is not Judas Iscariot. It's not Jude, the, uh, the disciple that followed Jesus during his ministry and became an apostle and became a martyr in the book of Acts. This is Jude, he introduces himself in this way servant or bond servant of the Lord Jesus Christ and brother of James. So in Matthew 13, I think it's uh, 55. Yes, it says, isn't this Jesus the son of the carpenter whose mother and brothers we know, James and Jude and uh, Joseph and Simon? Jesus had 
brothers and sisters, and Jude is the half-brother of Jesus. Why half? Well, because Jesus is virgin-born, the Son of God. But these, Jude was a full son of Mary and Joseph, uh, along with James, the brother of Jesus. And we know the book of James, right? That was written by the brother of Jesus, a notable leader. But they didn't become Christians probably until the resurrection, right? In John chapter 7, the, the brothers of Jesus were kind of teasing Jesus. Oh, you, you want to be somebody? Why don't you go down to Jerusalem if you want to have followers? And it says they said this because they, they themselves did not believe in him. At one point, Mary and, and the brothers of Jesus came to the place where Jesus was meeting in some building or tent, I don't know. And they, they sent messengers in there to say, say, your mother and brothers are calling you. Jesus, come out of the meeting. They thought he was crazy at that time. They were trying to interrupt the service as Jesus was teaching the word. They, they didn't believe at that time. But in 1 Corinthians 15, it says that Christ was risen according to the scriptures and he appeared to, and it gives a list of people he appeared to. And it says to the Lord's brothers. And they're mentioned as notable among the apostles. So the Lord's brothers, Jude is one of them. They became leaders in the church. Can you imagine that conversion from non-belief to belief? Some people, you know, they were born in the church. But someone said to me today, no one's born a Christian. And someone else said to me today, I was having fun fellowshipping before service. Someone else said, God has no grandchildren right? You, you must be born again. And so the relationship Jesus, uh, Jude, excuse me, said about himself is that he's a servant of Jesus. He considers that relationship more important than his blood family relationship. So that tells you something. It's important to serve the Lord. And he's writing this to serve us. And so the next description is that was the author. In verse 1, part 2, well, this is going to be hopefully not a long message. Let me finish. Let me get my uh, timer going here. How much do I have? 30 more minutes probably? Okay. Cool. Again, if you want the long form, you can go to the podcast. Um, so let's go on to who is this written to? Who are the recipients? It says to those who are called. Is the, there's three descriptions, called. The second one is sanctified in the King James. In other translations, it says beloved. Um, there's, there's a slightly different Greek text between the New King James and some other translations. So if your Bible doesn't say that, that's okay. Uh, beloved, you're both beloved and sanctified and kept for Jesus Christ. So you see the, the Holy Spirit calls, the Father loves and Jesus keeps. You see the Trinity. If you want to go deeper into Jude on your own, look for these three-point messages. He's, it's a very Trinitarian book. He describes himself in three ways, his name, his office as a servant of Jesus, and his relationship. He describes his audience in these three ways. You know, God the, he describes God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Christianity, the faith of Christianity is a Trinitarian faith. 
So I'll give you one thing that we need to contend against, and that is uh, false ideas of who God is or, or what God is. There is one God that exists in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. They're co-equal, co-eternal. They're each uh, persons of the Holy, of, of the Holy Trinity. But there's one God in three persons. It's not three gods like uh, Muslims and Mormons and Jehovah's Witnesses think Christianity teaches that there's three gods, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. That's, no, they're one God, but three persons. And so Jude alludes to that. Now, here's the greeting in verse 2. May mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Mercy is compassion and kindness and not getting the judgment that we deserve. Peace is the result of that, peace, that mercy we receive. And love is the fruit of it. Love is the greatest motivator. When people ask, why do you do evangelism? It boils down to because of love. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He so loved me and he's calling me to love other people, both Christians who are you know, in the church, that's one group of people to love, but a harder group of people to love is the lost. But Jesus said, what credit is it to you if you only love your brothers or you greet only those who greet you, but love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you, you know, feed them if they're hungry, we need to have a heart of love for the world as we contend. Otherwise, we can be contentious. And Paul told Timothy, the Lord's servant must not be contentious, but must be kind to all, gentle, willing to teach with, with patience those who are opposing us. So that's the greeting. Then we get into the, the core verse of this whole book. It really helps us to understand whenever you're doing inductive Bible study, studying an epistle, a letter, you want to see if there's a statement of purpose in that letter. So in verse 3, we have the statement of purpose. But there's a twist. He wants to write about something, but he needs to write about something else. So let's see what his purpose is. Beloved, I'm going to read from the ESV version now. I'm kind of more used to that one. So you may notice some differences in your translation. Beloved, Although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write to you appealing to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. So he said, I was very eager. I was trying to write about this one theme that we all would love to hear about, our common salvation. Oh, Jude, tell us that we're all saved. What we have in common is salvation. You know, this is a message to Christians, right? But he found that he couldn't do that. As much as he tried hard to write about that, the Holy Spirit was inspiring to him to write this because it was needful. He said, I found it more needful to write to you appealing to you so this is an appeal. It's, a, it's an urgent message. I plead with you. Come on, you guys. We got to do something here. You know, it's, it's, the church is not just a, 
club of saved people to comfort ourselves. Oh, okay, we're all saved. I'm saved. You're saved. I'm okay. You're okay. No, we're, we're, we're on a rescue mission. If we just comfort ourselves with thinking everyone is saved, well, what if someone comes in who's not saved? Or what if someone's been in the church that's not saved and we just assume that they're saved? I mean, I don't, I don't know you very well, so there might be a few people in here that aren't saved. Just because you attend a church doesn't make you a Christian, amen? And so he says, no, look, we have a fight to have here. I appeal to you to contend earnestly for the faith. It means to fight, to advocate, to campaign. And that's what open air campaigners comes from. Some people almost pronounce it open air complainers. <laughs> well, we're not open air complainers. We're open air campaigners. It means to be active in advancing the kingdom of God. That's what it's about. We got to fight for it, though, because our, and we have to fight against our flesh. We, there's so many tensions to fight against in order to get out there and share the faith. And there's also tensions within the church. Contend earnestly for what? It says for the faith. It doesn't say contend for faith, but contend for the faith. What's the difference? You, you're, you know, faith is trusting in, clinging to, relying upon. But what is the object of our faith? What is the content of our faith? That's what he calls the faith. As it says in a few places in the Bible, it'll refer to the whole of Christian doctrine as the faith. Revelation 14, 12, for example, this is the patience of the spirit, keep, that you keep the commands and the faith of the Lord Jesus. The Christian faith is something we ought to fight for. And he'll tell us how to fight in the end. But first he has to prove the premise that we need to fight. Why, Jude, do we need to fight for the, for the faith? Why do we need to contend for it? Well, I love inductive Bible study. Well, it says in the next verse, for, and whenever you see for, you want to ask what it's there for, right? Here's the reason we need to contend in verse 4. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation. Ungodly people. So notice it's certain people. We're going to describe these certain people in a lot of different words here. But the reason why we need to contend is because of certain false teachers. Your, your Bible translators might have put a heading above there. Apostates in the church. In other words, there's people in the church that are not part of the church. There's people in the church that are weakening the church from within the inside, right? In Acts, you see when Satan attacked the church from the outside through persecution, the believers spread. The apostles stayed in Jerusalem, but the normal believers they went everywhere testifying about the name of the Lord Jesus and Christianity only spread faster when Satan attacked from the outside. Well, so Satan is changing his MO, his modus operandi, and he's attacking the church from within. He'll send false teachers, false prophets, false doctrines. It can come in through your music that you listen to. It can come in through YouTube people that you watch. It can come in through a guest speaker. I'm pointing at myself, like, you need to be a Berean, you know? Just because Pastor Bob has known me for a couple of months, 
doesn't mean I'm not going to introduce some false teaching. So be a Berean, like it says in Acts 17:11. They received the word of Paul with gladness, but they searched the scriptures to see if it was so. Do you do that? It says they searched the scriptures daily to see if it was so. Acts 17:11, one of my life verses. Because the more you get into God's word on a daily basis, the stronger and better prepared you are to face false doctrine. It's just like when you, if someone works at a bank and they need to be trained to spot counterfeit money, do you know how they train them? They get them very familiar with the authentic, real, genuine coins and dollars. They know the feel of it. They know the smell of it. They, they know what it should look like when you hold it up to the light. You know, and so they, there's all kinds of counterfeits out there. But if you know the authentic, then when something comes across their path that's not authentic, warning flags go up. Something's not right here. Something's missing here. Something is added here. And you can only discern that if you've been in the Word of God. So I'm so thankful. I listened to some of Pastor Bob's teachings online this week as I was preparing to come. You have a great pastor who teaches the Word. You have sound teaching, sound doctrine. And you guys are well equipped to discern and detect these false teachers. I think that's one of the reasons why God has raised up the Calvary Chapel movement. Because we're strong in the Word. Because of those who gave us those values of study the scriptures to show yourself approved, a workman who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, right? But the world we're living in, they are not trained that way. So God may want to use you and the discernment and knowledge that you have to, in conversations with your neighbors at work, uh, with your family, just with random people at the grocery store, you know? Like, a lot of people have a lot of weird doctrines floating around in their head that they just kind of make up on the spot. I mean, I grew up in Santa Cruz, so I heard a lot of this growing up. There was so, many, so much weirdness, and, and I was a product of that. I was lost. I was so lost, I didn't know how lost I was. Um, and I heard about these Bible thumpers that are like, you know, trying to shove Jesus down people's throats secondhand from non-Christians saying, oh, don't you hate those Bible thumpers? I was like, I've actually never met one. I don't know what that means. What does that mean, Bible thumpers? I was curious. Well, what about the Bible? I didn't meet one until I moved to uh, Monterey and went to Pacific Grove High School, and I was drawing and painting in art class, and a girl across the table from me was having a conversation with the girl next to her about what they're going to do after high school. You know, it's my senior year. We're getting ready to graduate. And uh, my daughter just graduated from high school, by the way. Lily, congratulations. So the question is, well, what are you going to do next? You're going to go to college? You're going to go to work? And the Christian girl said, I'm going to do whatever God leads me to do, because I love Jesus. I don't know what I'm going to do yet. I'm going to follow Jesus. I was like, my ears perked up. What's that? Is this one of those Bible thumpers I heard about? <laughs> and the other girl responded, oh, well, don't you have your own desires and wishes and plans for your life? And um, she's like, well, I just trust that God knows better than me about what he created me for, and I'm just going to follow him because he hasn't done me wrong yet, and I believe he's faithful. He loved me. He gave his life for me on the cross, 
He rose from the grave to give us life. And that's what life is all about. It's all about Jesus and living for him and discovering his will for your life. And I'm going to go for it, whatever that is. I was like, wow. I was sitting on the opposite table, side of the table next to uh, uh, my, my friend's girlfriend who happened to be studying witchcraft, Wicca. And she turned to me and said, don't you hate it when Christians share about Jesus here at public school? I was like, well, I'm kind of a Christian, I think. I don't know. I prayed a prayer when I was seven years old, but I'm not like that. And that was to my shame. I, I didn't know how to have a relationship with God. To me, it was, I prayed the sinner's prayer when I was seven. Check, I have my fire insurance and ticket to heaven, and I'm good to go. Now I can live life however I want, because I'm forgiven. I'm going to heaven. That's what I thought Christianity was. It's just a quick fix, ticket to heaven. But, and I think the Christian girl across the table heard, because after class, she singled me out. She's like, I heard you say you're a Christian? Really? And... I was like, uh, well, I, I guess so. I think so. I don't know. But I'm not like you. She's like, well, have you been discipled? And I said, what's that? Sounds like discipline. Does it hurt? <laughs> She's like, no, we have, a, we have a, a Bible study after school. Come over to my house. We have a few people that are just learning how to follow Jesus. Can I pray for you? And I was like, oh, it's, it's cool. You don't have to pray for me. We're not at church. You know, that was something you do at church is pray. You don't have to do that. She's like, I'd love to do that for you. Like, come on over this afternoon. We're going to meet and you, you should check it out. And we have a youth group and you should come. And do you go to church on Sundays? Like, no. God started drawing me. I was just, you know, minding my own business in art class and God got a hold of my heart. And, you know, God used that encounter to draw me to him. He could use any of you you know, those same questions you could ask anybody. Hey, do you have a Christian background? Are you born again? Have you been discipled? Can I pray for you? You know, just talk like a normal Christian. You don't have to hide your faith. Just talk like you normally talk. Well, we, we shouldn't use Christianese. If I come back and we do more training on how to reach out to the lost, we do need to learn how to speak their language. But don't be ashamed of the gospel. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Why? For it's the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the Jew first and also to the Gentile. There's power in it. Why be ashamed? It, you just open your mouth. God will use you and open people's hearts. Okay. We're going to have to skip a large part of this text because I really want to get to the conclusion of how to contend for the faith. I think we know why to contend. Um, I do want to touch on, though, a couple of things in this verse 4, this key verse. Um, yeah, that's good, that slide. Um, so there's a, a few things to note. These certain men crept in unnoticed, meaning there's non-Christians among them and they couldn't even tell. They didn't know. They weren't discerning it. And they were marked out for condemnation. What does that mean? Well, some people think that the only kind of condemnation is false condemnation, that Satan heaps on a believer when you stumble, says, oh, you're, you're not saved. See, you're terrible. You know, that's, that's false condemnation for somebody who is truly saved. But there is something called truth, 
true condemnation for those people who are not saved. I mean, if someone is not saved, it's better for them to know that they're not saved than to think that they are saved when they are not. They need to know that they're not saved and they, because they have a need for salvation. If they think, oh, I said the sinner's prayer when I was seven, I'm good to go like I did. I had a false sense of assurance. You can have a false sense of condemnation on one side, but you can also have a false sense of assurance. These people that Jude is describing, they have the false sense of assurance. They think they're okay, they're dreaming, but they're not okay. They're truly condemned. And, and if you doubt that, God condemns people, not just Satan condemns people, but God condemns. Jude gives three examples from the Old Testament in verse five, six, and seven. The first example in verse five is people who did not believe. Let's read it. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus who saved a people out of the land of Egypt after destroying those who did not believe. Afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. So the first group of people that he condemns is people who did not believe. You know that belief is necessary for salvation. Apart from faith, it's impossible to please God. God so loved the world that whosoever believes in Jesus shall not perish. Faith is essential for salvation. So without faith, is someone condemned? Yes, Jesus said, I didn't come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Because the world was condemned already, John 3, 16 through 18. Read the whole context. So that's why people need to hear the gospel, because they are condemned without it, without believing in Jesus. The second thing he identifies as a condemned group is angels who did not abide. Read verse 6. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. The, I like the New King James, it uses the word abode. They left their abode. What does that mean? God condemns angels who did not abide in the position where they were supposed to stay. Satan lifted himself up. He said, I will be like the Most High. I will be God. I will be worshiped. He didn't abide in his place, subservient to God as an angel. So he fell like lightning. And he dragged a third of the angels along with him in a rebellion. And that's what demons are. They're fallen angels who refuse to stay, refuse to abide in the place that God had created them and called them to be in. So is it necessary for a Christian to abide to be saved? Yeah, abiding is essential for salvation. John 15, Jesus said, abide in me and I in you. And if you abide in me, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If any branch does not abide in me, you'll be like a branch that withers and dies, will be cut off and thrown into the fire. So the, the eternal security question, I like how Chuck Smith, pastor, the founding pastor of Calvary Costa Mesa, put it. Do you believe in eternal security? He said, well, you're eternally secure as long as you abide. <laughs> so abide in Christ because God condemns even angels who did not abide in their place. So first group, people who did not believe are condemned. Second group, angels who did not 
abide. And the third group in verse 7, cities who did not repent. Verse 7, just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing the, a punishment of eternal fire. The cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, what was their sin? They went after strange flesh, Jude calls it. They actually wanted to rape the angels that came to rescue Lot from the city. They were that bad. And Abraham pleaded, if there's 10 righteous people in the city, would you spare the city on the count of the 10? And God said, I wouldn't destroy the city if there were 10 righteous, but there were not 10 righteous. There, were a whole, there was a whole city that refused to repent. Even though righteous Lot, the New Testament commentary says, righteous Lot was vexed in his soul day in and day out as he saw the behavior of the Sodomites and the Gomorans. They grieved God and he said, why don't do this? He, he was so desperate, he offered his own daughters to this lusting crowd pounding at the door. And they were like, no, we refuse even that. We're just going to do harm. And God sent his wrath and judgment on these cities. They were burnt up. And Sodom and Gomorrah are cities that serve as an example of a group of people that God condemns. Why? Because they would not repent. Now, is repentance essential for salvation today? Yes. Scripture? Luke 13, Jesus said it twice. Unless you repent, you will perish. Don't think that when the tower fell on these certain people, they died because they're more righteous than you. He said, I tell you the truth. Unless you repent, you likewise will perish. There's other verses I could give you, but for lack of time, I'll just sum up these three verses in this way. God condemns anybody who does not believe does not repent, and does not abide. It's, it's that simple. So when we preach the gospel, what are we calling people to do? Not just say a quick prayer and invite Jesus into your heart, but you need to repent and believe the gospel, man. Jesus said it in Mark 1, repent and believe the gospel. The kingdom of God is at hand. Therefore, repent. Repent, what does it mean? That's a Christian word. We should define it for non-Christians and even for Christians, we need to be reminded, what, what does that mean? Does it mean stop sinning? Literally in Greek, it's the word metanoia, which means a metamorphosis, a change, a transformation of your mind. To rethink, reconsider. David Guzik defines it in this way. It's a transformation of mind that leads to a transformation of life. You know, it starts up here, the changes in here. You want to change. You want to come to God. You're willing to turn from your sin to Christ. Are you there? And Christians, don't we need to continue to repent, right? When we fall into sin or, or we're struggling, God calls us again and again, repent. Acts 17, 30 and 31. Paul says this is a universal call. God is now commanding all men everywhere to repent. Why? Because he's fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness 
through the man he has chosen. And he's given us proof of this by raising him from the dead. That was spoken to the philosophers and Areopagus, uh, Stoics, Epicureans, all these different belief systems coming together in Athens, Greece. And that was the last word he can get in. They're like, ah, oh, whatever. Some people mocked him. Some people procrastinated. Oh, okay, we'll hear you again on this subject another time. But there were some people that believed and they joined Paul. And it was, there was men and women. They repented because they heard the call to repent. So we gotta preach that, we gotta preach. Believe in Jesus, repent of your sins, and abide in Christ. Now, if you're worried, like, well, I don't know if I really repented because, you know, a couple years ago I fell back into sin. Well, have you repented of that? It's something you can renew, that times of refreshing will come from the presence of the Lord, the Bible says. So it's, it's a changed mind that leads to a changed action. If there's no change in your life after some time, then I would question, well, maybe you didn't really repent. But it, it's more of a going in a sinning less direction than sinless perfection. Repentance is not sinless perfection. It's going in a sinning less direction. All right, we got to jump ahead to the practical application in the text, which actually I would say begins in verse 17. When we look at what should we do? Okay, I know I need to contend for the faith, but how do I do that? Do I just go punch a false teacher in the nose? No, it's not about anything like that. It's more about def uh, having a strong defense for people in the church to not be led astray and reaching out to people outside the church so they can come into the faith for reals. <laughs> so let's read in verse 17, the first step what you should do is remember, remember. Verse 17, but you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly lusts. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. So remember what the apostles said. We have the apostles doctrine right here in the New Testament. Um, I, th I find it interesting that we have uh, scripture memory programs for kids, but I was so blessed that you guys had the adults quote that memory verse in the beginning, because we need it too. <laughs> we need to remember the words of the Lord, and as you do, your defenses are up. You are ready to encounter false teaching, false belief systems, and win people over to the Lord. The second thing you should do is in verse 20. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith. So let's stop there. Building yourselves up, plural. So it's building one another up within the body of Christ. That's what the teaching of the word does. It's for the equipping of the saints for the work of the ministry, the building up of one another until we reach full maturity. You know, this church, again, is, is doing it well. Wednesday nights, Sunday mornings got men's studies, home fellowships, those activities of the, what the church should be about in Acts 2.42, uh, they committed themselves to the apostles' doctrine, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. Those things build you up. You know, so keep doing it. We're called to not forsake the, the assembling of ourselves together, but encourage one another daily. So build yourselves up in your most holy faith. 
Encourage one another to be set apart for the Lord, man. Go all in. Live for Jesus. Let's do this. We need each other. We're a family. We're a body. You know, so we need to encourage each other. I need to be encouraged. And I hope I'm encouraging you. So the third thing that he calls them to do, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. Praying in the Holy Spirit. We don't have a lot of time to get into the work of the Holy Spirit and how he relates to us in our prayers. Some people are given a prayer language, tongues, as a, as a, as a spiritual gift. Not everyone. But you can pray as you're led by the Holy Spirit. You know, so God puts somebody on your heart to pray for, pray for them right then and there. Prayer builds you up. It helps you to contend for the faith. Because if you don't pray, then you're weak. But when you pray, there you are strong. And Jesus says not if you pray, do it this way. He says when you pray. So it's, it's just expected to be a normal part of the Christian life. Be doing this to contend for the faith and build one another up. Next, waiting for the mercy of the Lord. See that verb, waiting? We must wait for that day when Jesus is coming back. I hope it'll be soon. On one hand, I hope it'll be soon because I just, I want to see him, you know. Come, Lord Jesus, come quickly. But on the other hand, why is he waiting? I was talking with Pastor Bob about this this morning. Like, we don't know when the Lord's coming. There's nothing prophetically that has to happen before the rapture takes place. But it says in Peter, God is not willing for any to perish. Don't count his the fact that he hasn't come yet as slowness or that he's not going to keep his promise. But count, his, count that as patience because not, God is not willing for any to perish but for all to come to repentance. So I believe there's more people yet to be saved before Jesus comes back. Amen? Do you believe that? It may not be, you know, all one million people that we're going to share the gospel with. But if it was just one of the million, wouldn't it be worth it to go through the effort of sharing with the million? What if it was that one in a thousand? That would be a thousand more people saved as a result of the work that we can do to reach out with the gospel. Is that worth it? I've decided it's, it's so worth it. I've quit all my other jobs and now I'm doing this full time. I'm an evangelist. God's called me to equip the saints. And so here we are. And I, I'd love to come back at these uh, God's man's boot camps. I'm actually coming back, I didn't tell anyone, coming back this Friday for the evangelism explosion training Friday and Saturday, all day. I don't know if you knew that that's happening here uh, from 7 a.m. till 6 p.m. So I'll be back Friday. <laughs> um, so it's not too late if you want to sign up for that. It's two full days of training. I'm not offering it. I'm taking the class because I'm looking for more tools for my tool belt. All right? We got to press on. What is the next thing we're supposed to do to contend for the faith? Building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, verse 21. Keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Notice the word yourselves. So all of these things 
are things that we do for ourselves. Point number two up there, contend for your faith within the church. And then after that, we're going to talk about the three things that you can do for non-believers. So do you care about others? I hope that you do. I know some of you do. I don't know everybody here. So I think this is the biggest gap between people coming to church and then going out in the world. You care about each other, but what about others outside the church? I think if we have God's love within us to care for others, the mind of Christ is not to only think about our own interests, but also the interests of others. So he humbled himself. He made himself a servant. He went to the point of death on the cross in obedience to God. That's a hard thing to do, to humble ourselves, to sacrifice our comforts, and to lay down our lives. Take up in, taking up our cross and following Jesus is what we're called to do. So we got to fight for it. we got to build ourselves up first. You do your training at the boot camp, get geared up, and then we're going to send you out, not just like sheep among wolves, but uh, you can watch. The easiest thing I invite people to do, first of all, is just come watch and pray. Can you pray for one hour? Can you watch as I do the heavy lifting of preaching to crowds and just be in prayer for those who would listen? If you stand and watch and you're paying attention to the sketchboard as I'm painting, other people are like, huh, what is that crowd of people looking at? So you can serve in that way. That's the first step I invite people to do. We'll lead you in other steps if I get to come back for the God's Men's Boot Camp. But Jude leads us in, in, in these three steps of how to witness to others in verse 22 and 23. And I'm going to read from the ESV I apologize, the King James, it seems like it's only speaking of two different categories of people, but all the other translations split it up into three groups. So listen how it reads in the ESV, Jude verse 22, and have mercy on those who doubt. That's one group, doubters. Verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. That's another group, people that are like already in the fire. They're on the way to hell. Another group is to others, show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. So the third group is fleshly. There's signs of it on their clothing. And the, the approach to these three groups is different. For those who are on their way to hell, they're already in the flames, we're to radically snatch them out of the fire like a fireman goes into a burning building to take people out of there because it's urgent. Time is short. If you don't get in there and risk singeing your own hairs, or risk your life even, then they're gonna perish. So for some people, a more direct confrontational, um, in your face approach is what they needed. That's what I needed from that girl in high school. Are you sure you're a Christian? Have you been discipled? Do you even want to pray? Like, it was a little confrontational actually when I ended up going to the church and one of the leaders is like, oh, don't be so confrontational with this guy. I was like, no, I need this. <laughs> I needed a wake up call. I was snatched from the fires and I'm so glad that they didn't take the, a year of building a friendship to tell me first. 
But others, the first group is, they're doubting. They're making a distinction. They're trying to figure out what is true. I don't know. I want to know the truth. Be gentle to them. You know, to the humble, give grace. To the proud, give the law. So these are tools for your tool belt. Learn the Ten Commandments. You can use that to, to humble a proud person. That's what God does. He resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And then there's this third category of people there in the middle. They need a mixture of fear and mercy. You need to say, I love you, but it seems like you're on the way to hell. And I care too much about you not to say anything. You know, there's signs here we need to point out in your life. It seems like you're living a fleshly life. Are you saved? I want you to be saved. My soul weeps for the lost. You know, people ask me, why do I do this? Why do I share the gospel and get, I do face a lot of rejection out there. And that's the number one reason why people don't want to evangelize. I'm going to be rejected. Most of the time, yes. And it's painful. But what would be more painful is seeing my loved ones go to hell. When my sister and stepdad 28 years ago heard that I decided to follow Jesus, they persecuted me. They said, oh, you're an idiot. This is foolish. What about, you know, those people in those countries that never hear about Jesus? They gave me all the hardest questions right away. And I was like, I don't know, but I want to learn the answer to that. I came back and shared, I found the answer to that. Let me tell you. They're like, oh, what about this and that? They, they were suppressing the truth and unrighteousness. And I was just like, but this is true. Why don't you believe it? You know, I want you to be saved. And that heart for my sister and my stepdad to be saved when they rejected it, I was like, oh, it just breaks my heart. But then I looked around, I realized, you know, there's other people who don't have relatives that have the answers to these difficult questions. They might want to know. And so that's why I went to Ukraine and Latvia, the former Soviet republics. There's a lot of atheists over there because I was equipped with the answers that, to the questions they were asking. And, um, you know, it just takes time and patience, but I see other people as somebody's sister or somebody's stepdad. And if you're praying, I think the first step for us to do is to pray for the lost. We all know people that are not saved. Some people in your own family that you love and care for. Start with praying. God, would you send someone to share the gospel with them? I might be the answer to the prayer for somebody when I get to share that with them, but you might be the answer to your own prayer. Jesus, when he saw the multitudes, he had compassion on them, and he told the disciples, pray the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers, because the laborers are few. The harvest is great, but there's few laborers, so I'm here to recruit you and call you. Let's go out there. First, we'll do some training, and then we'll get ready, and we'll go out there. We'll, t we'll take you all by the hand, and show you that Jesus will make us fishers of men. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. My time is up, so I'm just gonna close with this famous benediction, verse 24 and 25. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy, to the only God our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, 
dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen. Let's pray. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word, for giving us the truth, for delivering this Christian faith once and for all, that we can have assurance of our salvation when we repent and believe and abide in you. And I pray for anyone in here that may be struggling, asking themselves, am I really saved? I pray that you would give them that assurance of salvation through your Holy Spirit, that they would be able to pray, Abba, Father, I surrender to you. And for those who do have salvation and need to repent, Lord, we want to come before you and recommit our lives to you. Change our mind about the direction we're going. Would you change our lives? Would you make us more like Jesus? And we pray for those who are doing well, who are strong in their faith, have been building themselves up in their most holy faith and in prayer and in fellowship, and, uh, but haven't reached out to the lost yet. Would you speak to them? Would you give them that heart and the opportunities to go out and share their faith? Would you give them the boldness to open their mouths and testify to this glorious gospel of grace? And Lord, we thank you that our salvation doesn't rest upon us, but it rests upon you, the only God and our Savior through Jesus Christ our Lord. So we give you all the glory. We thank you for what you've done to save us. And we look to you to keep us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.